Hello there. We do hope you're enjoying this podcast. In fact, we can see from the number of downloads, a lot of you really enjoy downloading it. But what we don't know is whether or not you enjoy listening to it. So if you wouldn't mind, give us an L rating if you have the time. That'll give us an idea what we might need to improve on. Anyway, on with the show. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Filthy Henry and the Impossible Victim, Chapter 15 Trent watched in horror as the flames bellowed out from every window of the building, causing the people on the street to run around like headless chickens in fear of being barbecued. Initially, when Mr. Ear had said they were going to put a bomb in Filthy Henry's place, Trent thought the lawyer had been joking. True, most of the lawyers used by the state, as the right to counsel accorded to any prisoner in Ireland, did their job for love of the work. But there were always one or two gone-off eggs in a batch. The sort that saw those who broke the law as time-wasters that should be dealt with on a more permanent, less repeat-offending basis. But never before had Trent heard of a lawyer actively going out to kill the person they had been brought in to represent. That was not just a bad egg. That was an out-and-out nutjob with extra nuts. But as they had broken into Filthy Henry's building, Trent doing the lockpicking at the insistence of Mr. Ear and his very sharp knife, and connected up the bomb to the front door, reality had hit home. Trent had not only crossed the thin blue line, he had painted over it and parked a hearse on top of it for good measure. We should have brought some marshmallows, Mr. Ear said, bringing Trent out of his thoughts and back to the chaotic scene on the street. That's a bit morbid, isn't it? Trent said. The lawyer gave Trent a sly grin before looking down the street at the approaching fire trucks. Look, when you need a job done right, you send in a pro. Now our mutual friend in the mirror can know the job was done. Trent's eyes opened wide at hearing that. He said nothing to me about killing the fairy detective. Or the girl, Trent said. Mr. Ear turned to face Trent and stared at him with his piercing blue eyes. Sometimes you don't need an explicit order to understand what's really being asked. He stopped talking and looked at their reflection in the nearby shop window. Trent suddenly felt like he was being watched, even though all eyes were focused on the flaming inferno across the street. Not wanting to see if Brez was indeed in the window, as he had been in the mirror, Trent looked down at his feet and stared intently at his shoes. No problem, Mr. Ear said. He reached over and placed a hand firmly on Trent's shoulder. Come on, you, he said to the Garda. The boss man wants to see us. As a rule, Filthy Henry had very little time for the gods of old. Mainly because when you called out to a deity that you knew for certain was real and still did not answer your pleas for help, well, you just stopped bothering with them. But right then, as they lay coughing, the fairy detective was starting to reevaluate his view of the gods. At least the ones that gave magical coins which came in very handy for life-saving manoeuvres. He looked at Shelley, made sure that she had no injuries from the explosion, then checked himself for any bits that might be smouldering. All was as it should be, with the exception that his recently replenished magical energy had been depleted down to dangerous levels less than half an hour after a recharge. 
keeping up a magical shield was draining enough without the need to cover two people with it. Looking about, the fairy detective saw that his random teleport to safety had resulted in them teleporting upwards as well as away from the mini-towering inferno that was his home and office. They were on a roof across from the fire. A thick cloud of black smoke snaked its way skywards. Ah, here, Filthy Henry said, climbing to his feet and walking over to the edge of the roof so he could get a better look at the street below. The Lewis line had already been stopped in both directions. Garda squad cars acting as impromptu barriers blocked the street. The inevitable crowd of starers and onlookers had formed, all watching the flames burn. Even fairy folk had gathered, standing shoulder to wing with the normal folk, in order to watch the show, albeit still magically hidden from human sight. Two fire trucks had taken up position directly in front of the building, their crews working like fire-protected ants to get things under control. Then Filthy Henry spotted two people moving about the outskirts of the crowd that clearly had no right being there. Trent O'Shea and the deer. They craned their necks to try and get a better look at what was going on. Then the assassin lawyer grabbed Trent's arm and dragged the guard away from all the excitement. Ah, wouldn't you know it, Filthy Henry said as he watched them go. Who was it? Shelley asked, getting to her feet a little unsteadily. Trent and the deer. They blew up the building, the fairy detective said. Shelley joined him at the roof edge and looked at the building across the road just as something inside cracked and fell apart from fire damage. Oh no, she said, bringing her hands up to her mouth. I'm so sorry, you're home. Meh, Filthy Henry said with a shrug of his shoulders. He walked over to a large pipe that ran along the roof and sat down. You know that lawyer guy looked awfully familiar to me, Shelley said, her gaze still fixed on the flaming building. Yeah, I thought the exact same thing when I first met him, Filthy Henry said. Right up until he took out that big old knife and started to try and kill me. In fact, I know exactly why he looks so familiar to both of us. Guess nearly being burned alive finally helped my brain figure it out. Why? Well, because we have seen him before. Shelley looked over at him, her face a mask of confusion and puzzlement mixed with bafflement. Go again? Well, not him exactly, but someone that looks exactly like him. If you swap that stupid wig he was wearing earlier with a slightly more styled one, the deer would look exactly like Diane Kecht. Shelley's eyes opened wide. He would. That wig totally threw me off. But that guy was the, the spitting image of him. How is that possible? So you know the way presidents, even sadistic dictators out in the desert countries, they all have doppelgangers. People they use as decoys. When you think about it, there really is only so many facial configurations available to the human race. It's bound to repeat a couple of times. Yeah, but Dion Kecht is a god, Shelley said, sitting down on the low wall that ran along the edge of the roof. How can somebody look like a god? Filthy Henry smiled. Well, don't forget, the gods only look human because people believe they should look human. It isn't so much that God made man in his image. More man figured God looked the same as man meaning that the guides who believed in them at the start just went with what they knew. It's not beyond the realms of possibility that... He stopped talking as a mental light bulb of inspiration shone in the darkness of his confused mind and illuminated an idea so crazy it might just be true. Beyond the realms? Shelley asked, gesturing for more information to be given. 
beyond the realms that there are a lot of people in the country that look like the old gods, Filthy Henry said in a low voice. The fairy detective hung his head in dismay and stared at the tower of the roof between his feet. Slowly, a picture was forming in his mind, one that painted the scene for how a person could murder a god with nothing more than a kitchen knife. All it would take would be the knowledge of how everything in the world, both magical and not, actually worked. Then you just had to wait long enough, with patience that could last for centuries. You could easily allow the world itself to create the perfect circumstances for you. Who better to do that than a god? But there was still one thing that Filthy Henry wanted to try before he went around pointing the finger at the bad guys. Come on, he said, rising from the pipe and going over to Shelley. We need to make a stop before talking to Dagda again. Don't think I'll be getting a clean shirt after all. As Filthy Henry shook Shelley's hand, the world blurred around them. It had been a quiet day in the store, something that suited Harvey Hughes right down to the ground. Typically, it was always a quiet day in this hardware store, mainly because the manager had never heard of advertising and seemed to think that word of mouth would trump things like the internet any day of the week. Plus, the advertising budget had been stretched to bursting last year on the whole neon sign fiasco. That'll bring them in, the manager had said, covered from head to toe in bright orange paint so that he looked like a radioactive Oompa Loompa. All the sign had done was provide a high visibility target for the herds of street youths to lob eggs on a daily basis. The end result being that Harvey often found himself sitting behind the little wooden counter that served both as the cashier desk, customer query desk and lunch table, watching the bell above the shop door in the hope that it would jingle. It rarely did. As a result, Harvey found you could learn a lot about yourself in the silence of a hardware shop. The measure of a man, for instance. Although, that was mainly down to the ease of accessibility of decent measuring tapes. As the seconds of a well-spent life ticked away, Harvey turned his attention back to the newspaper open on the counter before him and searched for an article he had yet to read. A large kitchen knife was slammed down on the sports pages, held in place by a hand Harvey knew belonged to the rarest of creatures in the store, an actual customer. How much for this? the customer asked. Harvey looked up and saw a badly dressed man in a blue suit and brown trench coat staring down at him, with some attractive woman watching the interaction. There was an overpowering smell of smoke coming from the man, and his shirt seemed to be stained with some red stuff. Harvey glanced up at the bell above the front door, the very stationary bell that had somehow not rung when they both entered, then back at the customer. Hey, where'd you pair come from? he asked them, sitting up straight on the stool and trying to see if there was an infestation of customers in the store. Never mind that. How much? the customer asked. Harvey picked up the knife, found the item number on the box and punched the digits into the cash register. You are like ninjas or something. The bell never jangled once. How long have you been in here? The male customer looked over his shoulder at his female friend and smiled. Long enough to know you shouldn't be left alone with a page three of this particular newspaper, he said to Harvey. Harvey's fingers froze over the cash register as he looked out the corner of his eye at the pair of them. What do you mean, he managed. The customer leaned in close, his smile widening. Oh, I think you know what I mean. What would your mother think? Harvey slowly handed the knife to the customer and cleared the code that had been typed into the register. 
Well, why don't we just keep that to ourselves? Um, no charge, he said, staring down at his knees so as to avoid eye contact. Silence returned to the store once again. Harvey waited nearly a minute before he felt brave enough to look up at the customer, hoping his face was not too red from the shame. All that he saw was an empty store devoid of anybody else. He jumped over the countertop and ran to the front door pulling it open. The little bell above jingled loudly. Turning on the spot, Harvey looked down to the back wall of the store and saw nothing but the usual oddities that existed in a hardware shop. Then Harvey fainted. Shelley had never considered herself afraid of heights. The dizzying heights that airplanes went to would be a little unsettling, but she reckoned that was just a healthy dose of Darwinian fear. People that voluntarily jumped out of planes to skydive were broken in her view, devoid of the built-in common sense people had that allowed them to survive. But as she stood on the steps of Ogma's tower and clung to Filthy Henry for support, Shelley was finding it very hard to not have a fear of super heights. Knock again, she snarled at Filthy Henry, while attempting to somehow meld her back into his. I'll knock twice already, he said, munching on a toffee muffin he had stolen using the teleporting power of the coin. Chances are he heard, or at least wrote it down into one of his books. Now can you please stop trying to climb into my body? You'll end up stabbing yourself on the knife. Plus, you're getting crumbs all the way down the front of my shirt. About that, Shelley said, ignoring his complaints. Why do we have a knife that you stole by lying to that poor shop guy? Well, we stole nothing, Filthy Henry said. More like borrowed. Permanently. Besides, I didn't lie. A god somewhere is watching. Could just be that said god isn't particularly interested in the goings-on of some hardware store clerk. Now do I have to tell you again that you can't fall up here? It's a magical realm. That's not really the sky behind you. But why not just teleport in? Take the knife and then magic yourself out again? Why the act at the till? Well, the guy still has to do a stock check at some point, Filthy Henry said. And this way, he knows there's one less knife to account for. I'm not a total animal, you know. Really? Well then how about using some magic to clean your shirt? There's blood all over it. What? Just because I'm half fairy, you think I'm like a walking box of fairy non-bio or something? Before Shelley could say anything, the tower door opened. Dagda looked at the pair of them. Coin didn't let us teleport straight into the tower, Filthy Henry said as he barged past the god. At least you know your temporary prison is working. Always nice to see you, Dagda said. Shelley, please do come inside before you give yourself a heart attack. Not needing to be asked twice, Shelley ran into the tower and hugged Dagda tightly around his portly belly. What took you so long? she asked. Dagda patted her reassuringly on the head. Why don't you just go upstairs? I'll follow you up in a moment, he said. Shelley straightened up and nodded. With solid ground beneath her feet again, she felt much better, even if the ground was the floor of a tower that floated amongst the clouds. All she needed was not to see Ireland miles below and her mind could adjust to everything else. The fairy world really was not a place for a human to go wandering around on their own. Then again, having Filthy Henry for a guide didn't make things any easier. Most of the time he went with the school of learning that involved a person experiencing something first and getting the explanation later. Just once, it would have been nice if he did a little showing before expecting her to blindly do. 
She climbed the stairway of books up to Ogma's office floor and arrived just in time to see the fairy detective trying his charms on the god of writing. I need to talk to him just for a minute, Filthy Henry was saying. One minute? How much damage can that cause? Sixty tiny seconds. It's not a case of damage. It's the rules that Dagda put in place until this entire thing is resolved, Ogma said as pages floated around his head while he wrote into the tome. Well, maybe you could go reading through your little book and tell me who the hell blew up my building. Ogma looked up at the fairy detective. Somebody blew up your office? Filthy Henry nodded. How come you didn't know that already? Shelley asked as she walked over to stand beside the fairy detective. Aren't you writing everything down that happens below? Exactly, said Dagda as he came up the staircase. He writes everything that happens in my realm down. But he doesn't read it at the same time. Just records it all. We need to read over it later and check things. Ogma's mainly a keeper of records. I just want to know if it was Trent who actually put the bomb in place, or the deer. No point inflicting some righteous justice on the wrong person. Also, what's the real name of the deer, Filthy Henry said. Ogma raised both hands into the air his pen continuing to write like the mad scribblings of the Invisible Man, and all of the pages gathered in front of him. With a few flicks of his wrist, they lined up. Says here he's an orphan, the god of writing said. He never knew his parents, and grew up in an orphanage, but was never given a name. The old lady that made the dinners always called him her little dear, so he took on the moniker for life. After some issues with the law, he started to work as a paid killer, but never again used any name other than the deer. He seems to have a habit of talking to himself in the mirror. By all accounts, you're lucky to have survived. Talks to himself in the mirror, Dagda said, almost to himself. Filthy Henry looked from one god to the other, clearly getting annoyed. It never ceased to amaze Shelley how quickly the fairy detective would lose his patience with fairy folk. He would have thought that the prospect of being turned into a frog or set on fire by magic would have instilled some degree of control in a person. Yet Filthy Henry just used the old count to ten trick as an indication of how close he was to his temper lifting off, not cooling down. And right at that moment, the two deep-voiced deities were just not making sense. While you two Marys yammer on about the vanity issues of a nutjob killer, can I get thirty seconds with the guy on the other side of the wall? Filthy Henry said gesturing at the stones beyond which the unkecked cell lay. You can even leave the doorway open and watch me, while you write it down into your little book. No funny business intended, honest. Dagda looked over at Filthy Henry, an eyebrow arched. Shelley could tell the Chief of the Gods was trying to figure out if the fairy detective was up to something. Since Filthy Henry was generally trying to get one over on somebody, she guessed it was a safe bet the portly god was right in his assumption. You can't have your magical side separated from your body, Dagda said slowly. You've been alive too long now for your human side to cope with suddenly being 100% human. Well, your lot need to hire better changelings then, Filthy Henry said smugly. Shelley thumped him hard in the upper arm. When you seem to be on the verge of getting your way, having the last word was not the best move. Dagda nodded at her by way of thanks then continued. I will extend the dampening effect of the room to include you. Like Dian Kecht, you will remain as you are, just unable to cast any magic in any way. 
Agreed. So just to be clear, I'll still be a half-breed when I enter the room, and there will still be a god in there. Just both of us will be powerless? Correct, Dagda said. Filthy Henry seemed to mull the proposition over for a moment before nodding his head in agreement. I think this is a bad idea, Ogma said as he gestured towards the wall, and the entrance appeared once more. When the last of the stones had turned like book pages and folded away, Shelley saw Dee and Kecht still seated at the single table in the room, reading a scroll by the light of a hundred candles. The god of healing looked up from the scroll and smiled at the four of them. All oh, right. It's that time, is it? he asked forlornly. Filthy Henry walked up to the doorway, his right hand in his pocket, and smiled at Dian Kecht. Not exactly, buddy, the fairy detective said. What happened next shocked Shelley as much as it did the other gods in the room. Without the slightest hint, Filthy Henry pulled the kitchen knife out of his pocket and rushed into the room. He slammed hard into Dian Kecht, knocking the healing god from his chair and onto the ground. Once there, the fairy detective proceeded to stab Dian Kecht repeatedly in the stomach with the blade. No! Henry! Both Dagda and Ogma screamed. Out of the corner of her eye, Shelley saw them line up side by side, arms raised in front of them. There was a shimmer in the air, like extreme heat on a summer's day. Shelley knew exactly what was coming next, even though for the life of her, she could not explain why the fairy detective had decided to try and kill a god. Regardless, Shelley decided to rely on the one ability all humans were born with. She screamed. Filthy Henry, The Impossible Victim is book two of the Filthy Henry series by Derek Power. This completely free audiobook version was narrated by Niall Milton. Other Filthy Henry books are available to buy on Amazon Kindle.